Welcome, everyone, to Healing Hope and Restoration. I'm your co-host, Tiffany. And I'm Howard. And Howard, it seems like we haven't taped for such a long time, but maybe it hasn't been as long as I think. Well, you know, um, in, in today's world, who isn't busy? Yeah. <laughs> Busyness makes the time go fast. And paradoxically, at the same time, it seems like it's been eons since we visited, but it's only been four weeks. It has been. Well, as always, it's good to sit down with you and to have our mental health discussions. These are things we're both passionate about. Absolutely. And I, I think today's topic is not only relevant, perhaps to some degree worn out in some circles, yet I think it merits maybe a perspective we can bring to it today. I really do. So. We're getting ready to head into the holiday season, and so we're going to be talking about things we think are really pertinent to that. Um, about a week ago, I had the opportunity to present to a group of my colleagues all about technology addiction, or even internet um, addiction. And I think I want to reprise that conversation today, because mm -hmm. we live in, like you said, an age that is very technological, but has really become the distraction age. Yes. And technology has added to that. And I want to give a disclaimer by saying, when I love technology, I love it. I like technology. I like using it. When it works well, it makes our lives very convenient. Mm -hmm. And it has been so integrated into the fabric of our lives that we probably don't even realize how much we use it to function. Oh, absolutely. I mean, it's, it's so become a part of our society and world society that uh, to live without it puts you back in the Stone Age almost. Uh, yeah. And so I realize there's some people that, you know, have found a way to cut out most of it and, and live and do okay. But uh, for most of the world, we've got to learn to rock and roll, as they say, with with this technology so that it doesn't dominate us, but it serves the purpose that um, just helps our world go smoother and more efficiently. Absolutely. So when we talk about a technology addiction or like an Internet addiction, we're talking about when you use tech or really screens to the point where it becomes uncontrollable and you're unable to stop. and um, Again, those impulses become uncontrollable and it starts to get in the way of things in your life and it starts to impact you mentally, physically, socially, all those negatives start to build up. Um, and in, in essence, it really just causes us problems. Um, some problems are very subtle. Um, others are very much so like in your face. Well, the thing about this technology, like any habit or any routine that we get into that's hard to break. Uh, there's an old adage in brain research, neurons that fire together, wire together. That's very true. And so because of that, uh, when we get so clued into screens and, and so um, taken up with what's happening in the uh, technological world, um, I think it impacts our ability to communicate. It it impacts our ability to uh, forge more meaningful, intimate relationships. Uh, when everything is a screen, after a while, um, nothing fulfills us mm -hmm. like the fast-moving, in-your-face, constant information that a screen can give us. Absolutely. And this is not just an opinion. This is actually... 
true. You know, research has shown that it can cause us the problems that you just described. And anecdotally, recently, uh, I was told of a situation where a teenager who feels like an outcast at school doesn't seem to be connecting well, um, some marginal bullying, has found friends, quote unquote, on the internet, mm -hmm. treats them with compassion, treats them with kindness, spends hours uh, to, um, you know, the concern of parents, and yet will treat people in her world not nearly as nice or compassionate as the people in the screen. Mm -hmm. What does that do then? What is that saying? It, it's a form of an addiction, yes. I mean, I think you have to be careful how you diagnose that, but certainly it's impacting her off time from school. It's it's consuming this person. And I've had adults tell me this. Mm -hmm. It's not just a teenage problem. You know, adults struggle with this. So the idea that I spend so much time with that, that I actually have a relationship virtually, that... I struggle then to have an appropriate, kind or compassionate relationship with those that I actually live with. Wow. I've seen kind of the flip side of that. I've had clients who have been treated so poorly by their peers in real life or in person that they're kind of driven to technology, you know, chats, the internet, social media, things like that to make those connections. And they would actually say that the friendships that they developed online were the reasons that they're still alive because they had yes. that type of social connection. I, I've heard that. And yeah. some of them can be pretty healthy. Interestingly enough, in that same vein, some of those same relationships online dissipated pretty quickly as the client got healthier and started developing relationships with those who were you know, who they could actually see in person and spend time with. And they reported more satisfaction with the in-person connections than online connections. But I think after a while, it, it especially young brains, um, it teaches the brain to um, wire around speed, mm -hmm. um, short snippets, so your attention span becomes less and less. Um, it, it enables you to sometimes be more bold than you would in face to face with someone. So as a consequence, oh, maybe you say things you wouldn't say face to face with someone. Gives you um, a level of anonymity, even though it's not like. <laughs> right. And you can feel empowered to say whatever you want and have an opinion about whatever you want. Never mind whether that opinion has, you know, any merit it's just something that I'm going to have and I'm going to let you know it. And I think I've seen society move in this direction for some years now, working with technology and sitting with people in addictive situations where technology plays a role. And, and I think that if I were to go back and audience, pardon me, but I think the break point was 2020 mm -hmm. uh, with COVID-19 with the shutdown of the nation and the world and the way that uh, virtual uh, communication became like the thing. I think since then, I don't think we've weaned ourselves back to where we were before. I think it's just increasing. And part of it, it's been difficult to wean ourselves back to where we were before, especially if there's an addiction at play here and we're not aware of the fact that it is at play. 
Also, our society has changed quite a bit to the point where, like you said, most of the things that we're doing, you know, pretty efficiently are done on screens. If you even go to order takeout from any given restaurant, it used to be you could call the restaurant place and order and some <laughs> restaurants still do that. But now they found, you know, why would I waste a worker answering a phone call when you can just use your phone, type in your order, pay, I could see it come across my screen on the other side put it together, you come in and get it, and our interactions then are even minimal. It's more efficient. So are we going back to pre-COVID times when it comes to technology? We're not. No. We're not going to. No. Because we found something that works, and it works really well. And so, you know, when we talk about screens, um, what we really mean is a flat panel or an area of an electronic device such as a television, computer, smartphone, in which images and data are displayed. Now, I give that definition not because I don't think you know what a screen is. I give that definition because I don't think you're aware of all the screens you look at. So if I asked you the screens you look at, okay, naturally, we have our television. Then we have our computers, which a lot of us are probably working on at any given time in the day, some all day long. Mm -hmm. We have our um, phones, of course, which are the screens we carry with us that we're almost never separated from. We have our tablets. We have, um, if you go to a movie or avid movie goer, you know, even if you're not an avid movie goer, like you're still sitting there looking at a screen. You can be in a restaurant. There are screens. Those are television screens, but they're still flashing. Um, if you're in any given job where technology is a part of it, you're looking at a screen probably for something. And then a screen that I hadn't really thought about is even my smartwatch. Mm, it's a screen mm -hmm. that I'm tuned into pretty regularly. Mm -hmm. So when you think about it, everywhere that you look or even glance, you probably are looking at a flat panel or an area of some electronic device upon which images are displayed for you. You go to church. There's probably a projector where the songs and scripture are being projected. That is a screen. Yeah. And maybe for another discussion, another time, the sidebar to that is, um, at least in my church, and I'm the lead pastor, uh, people don't carry their Bibles. Mm -hmm. I bet yeah. on any given Sunday, three or four people have Bibles. Yes. I remember I was of the generation where we, we were gifted, you know, our Bibles and we, we took them to church with us. We took notes. We had everything. And now, honestly, since I became a parent and I carry so many things, <laughs> it just became easier to just look it up on my phone. I could just click button. Boom. There it is. I want to type a note. Pastor said something that I thought was intriguing. I want to ponder later. Type that right in onto the screen. The downside is, is there other things also on the device I'm using that could easily distract me from that as well? Well, kind of a funny moment. Um, before I took this last church four years ago, six years ago, I was um, still doing interim work and um, helping out uh, the district of the denomination that I belong to. And I was asked to go to uh, a church that ran about 250 or 300 and they had two services. So in the first service, I watched people come in and almost everybody was carrying a hard copy of the Bible. So I used my hard copy. I brought it with me. Mm -hmm. Second service. Um, and it the sanctuary was packed. I didn't see anyone with a Bible. I saw tablets and phones. And so when I got up to read the scripture, I said, would you all take out your electronic device and turn to? <laughs> <laughs> I 
<laughs> and there is a big laugh in the congregation, but that's that's just reality. And 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 the thing yeah. is, Tiffany, we're not trying to say this is bad. Uh, we're not taking that position. But just like anything that's good, too much of something good can become something that creates, uh, you know, a diversion of time, mm-hmm. a loss of time, a loss of priority, and all of a sudden it has become more important than than its intended good use. And that's what I think we, we struggle with. Absolutely. So big question is, you know, are screens, is technology, you know, screen-based technology really harming us? And, you know, at some level that is up for debate. There are things that we can do on screens that are very harmful, um, but it is what we do with it. And there is, you know, more productive uses of screen time and very unproductive. And the unproductive are the ones we're talking about that are probably a little bit more dangerous. So I'll challenge our listeners to just ask yourself a few questions. One, what type of screens do you use? Two, what are you doing exactly on a screen? And if you have opportunity to take that off screen, then I highly recommend that you do for your brain's sake, because that's huge. And I want to share a little insight from a man who wrote the playbook on how to get you hooked to, you know, technology or a product or screens. And his name is Nir Eyal, and he wrote the book called Hooked, and it's literally the Bible for like Google um, and other large companies that develop technology-based products that really need you Mm. to stay hooked and connected. And he wrote the book for, um, you know, companies who were creating products that, and he said he wanted companies to have a basic formula to um, create habit forming products or products where people in an essence be hooked to them. And so here is his kind of basic um, formula. One, he said, you need to look at what kind of internal triggers um, are, is the product specifically like addressing? So what Mm -hmm. is that perhaps need or drive that it is like meeting? So let's say social media um, you know, Snapchat, Facebook, all the other things. And most of our kids aren't on Facebook anyway. It's just probably our generation at this point and other, you know, TikTok. What are, what is that doing? All right. We have a need for connection. We know that we were mm-hmm. born for a need for connection. You cannot make it in this world upon <laughs> being born without being connected to someone. Right. So that is one basic need it could easily address. So it addresses a basic need. The second thing is what sort of external trigger um, gets the user to the product. So what is it that makes that product so appealing that you're driven to it knowing that, oh, this could potentially meet a need that I have. Mm -hmm. Okay. So we have valid need. The product seems to address it or is the answer to that need or appears to be. And then the third thing is, what is the simplest behavior in anticipation of the reward? So these companies then have to make it very easy for you to engage in that behavior. And then correspondingly, there has to be a reward. You Typically the meeting or the very basic meeting of whatever need that it was supposedly addressing in the first place. Then that reward, it has to be fulfilling However, it has to leave you wanting more. It can't right. fulfill you too much. Right. Because if it fills you too much, then, you know, if it actually fixes any issue that you have, why would you have need for that product anymore? So in essence, it's creating another problem because it's getting you hooked. It's creating another need. And the need is going to be for that product. And then the last thing he says is, um, what 
like bit of work is done to increase the likelihood of returning. A little bit of work is done to increase the likelihood of returning. He talks about this whole idea that you have to get it to a place where that consumer wants to invest a little bit. So what kind of little bit of effort do they need to put forth to, you know, get back to that product? Let's make it as easy. You don't even have to type your login. Let's just do, we'll just do like facial recognition so you can get back in. We can, oh, how about you pay a little bit or give us your email address, give us basic information about you and we will provide you with things because little bit of work, you know, to unlock some extra features, maybe make a financial investment just a little bit in order to get a little bit more so that you can continue to get, we'll stay pretty unfulfilled actually, but maybe get a little bit of fulfillment that keeps you hooked and coming back. The book is called Hooked and he does a really great job of breaking down consumer psychology. And see, that's the same thing that the pornography industry mm-hmm. uses, which is something I treat. Um, and if you, if you look at it, guys who are recovering from excessive use of pornography, which has interrupted their, their marriages, their work life, and, and, um, just really their whole family life, there'll be a news report. You'll be reading the news. Okay. Innocuous, benign, nothing there. You get down at the end of the news feed and there'll be advertisements solar panels. Well, why do you need 36, 24, 36 to sell solar panels? Mm -hmm. But it's there. Um, Gym equipment, um, insurance. It doesn't matter what the product is. The old adage that sex sells is true. Although it's, it's much more blatant and in your face. And maybe you'll click on that because you see the picture And then that continues to take you to other places until finally you are on a porn site. Mm -hmm. And, you know, and this is the allurement of that. This, this is both subtle and not subtle, not subtle in that they're trying to sell a product of some kind. Uh, That's out there. What's more subtle is, is these voluptuous pictures of, of females that fires the brain causes recall to happen and the person knows then how to get the fulfillment out of those neurons firing those neural pathways remembering and when that starts to happen then this cascade effect takes place where now they're searching again and now they're going to places that they used to go to and i think this again because it's so easy you know you got your phone with you you can do it anywhere you don't have to be home at a desktop computer in order to get into this. Mm-hmm. Our phones can get us anywhere we want to go, just like a computer can. And so as a consequence, I think this whole product thing is interesting that maybe that's not their intention. Obviously, they're just trying to sell their product. Mm-hmm. But by using these images to sell their product, they are actually firing the brains of people who have problems with this to go back to where they were before. Yeah. And like you said, may not necessarily be the original intent, but the intent is to create like lifelong consumers. You know, I want you to keep coming back. 
And so again, we want to be clear, we're not down on technology. Technology can be a really grand thing. At the end of the day, you know, there's good uses of technology and screens and there's, you know, more harmful negative uses of it. And the truth is, as much time as you can spend off screen, do so actively and you have to do so consciously because you are plopped in front of it from the student in the classroom right now to the employee you know inputting data into a computer or a register or whatever it may be you're probably looking at a screen of sorts and you know this discussion is really not new Mm -mm. it's more technical it's more pervasive um it's its tentacles reach further into the human psyche and into society. But those of us that are old enough to remember when TV was new and I was on, you know, maybe the later end of that, I was born in the Mm fifties. Not everybody had a TV yet in the 1950s, (laughs) but I remember the church taking a stand uh, somewhat against television because of the fear of what that was going to bring into living rooms. So even the television, now we think that's kindergarten, that's child's play. Mm -hmm. What do you mean a television? Come on. But those of us that in society and those of us that are listening that are my age or older can remember uh, the concerns that the church had with the technology of television coming uh, and being available to everyone. Uh, Prior to that, it was, you know, movies Mm -hmm. and churches took stands against movies. Again, going and seeing a screen and seeing something that may or may not be nurturing or helpful to your Christian walk. Before that, different types of music. There it is. I mean, it's, it's always been there. We put a spotlight on what we're talking about today because, um, there's very few people I would say in our society that don't have a phone. Uh, a smartphone, an iPhone, able to connect to the internet. And, and, and because it's so pervasive, I think it's important to keep the discussion alive about how we manage it. Absolutely. It, it's not the ill of it. It's how do you manage it? Exactly. Cause it's not going away. This is one of those, when it comes down, obviously substances that people tend to abuse are not going away, but you could relatively avoid those to some extent when it comes down to right. technology, you really can't no. at this point in time, unless you really just went completely off the grid, no pun intended, like you really, you can't. So at this point in time, um, the man who also wrote the book Hooked also wrote a book called, and then his name is Nir Eyal, also wrote a book called Indistractable, which I read and think it's really good. He wrote kind of the antidote to it because he said, basically, you need to learn how to hack your brain back and how to be indistractable. Being indistractable, he said, doesn't mean you're not ever distracted. You know, it means that when you do get distracted, you know, oh, wait a minute, you recognize it and you say, oh, I know what I intended to do. And you can come back and do exactly what you intended to do. Right. Not necessarily be hooked or unable to move from what grabbed your attention at that point in time. And so highly recommend the book. Um, I think this is a conversation I'd really like to reprise, reprise later and talk about how to become indistractable, the really practical tips to doing That'd that. Be great. Mm-hmm. 
because I think that's definitely would be worth the price of admission because we could talk all day about the problems or the issues. And again, we're saying screens are not bad things. They could be very useful. They have definitely made our lives a lot easier in respects, especially when sure. it works <laughs> more difficult when it doesn't and probably frustrating. Um, but like anything you said, there's this management piece because if you do not manage it, just like any addiction, it will take you over yes. and it will leave a lot of like negative consequences or negatives in its wake and you're going to pay the price for it. And so will your relationships. Yeah, I think that's a great idea. We don't want to just set up the problem, but for this podcast, um, you know, we're just laying the foundation of how technology has in a pervasive way affected our society and that when we do learn how to manage it, and there is a solution, mm -hmm. takes a great deal of discipline, just like, you know, shaking any addiction. It takes constant attention. It takes self-discipline. It takes self-awareness. Those are all things that are a part of it, that it would uh, it'd be good for us to talk about that at a later time. Absolutely. Let's put that on the schedule for January. I think starting the new year fresh, you know, we talk a lot about New Year's resolutions, which we, we don't necessarily believe in. We think if you're going to do behavior changes, start start now. But let's address that. I think that'll be a really good topic to start the year with. Yeah, absolutely. Sounds good. Perfect. Well, folks, we thank you for tuning into our podcast and listening to us muse about, you know, mental health topics that are passionate, that we're passionate about. And hopefully we've said something that has helped you or inspired you to think a little bit more about your tech use. Um, please tune in to our next couple episodes as well, which will be dropping in December, where we're going to talk about grieving during the holidays and even how to, you know, manage and cope during you know, the holiday season. We've talked about things like this in the past, but it bears a reminder because yes. these times are unique, especially as we're thinking about loved ones who are no longer with us and even how to deal with maybe the more difficult loved ones we're going to be spending extra time with. Yep. That has come up recently. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Again. As someone once said, not family reunions, family rebellions. Well, <laughs> Uh, hopefully not. But yes, I think we need to address that. We love them still, but small doses are good. That's right. <laughs> you want to send us up. <laughs> Thank you folks for joining us today. And as always, God bless and shalom. <laughs>